0: Be filled with the Spirit, because those who are filled with the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. And the necessity of us walking in the infilling of the Spirit, allowing our minds to be daily transformed and renewed, to learn what heaven thinks on a thing so that we can live in this kingdom now, not yet. Have the Word shape our behavior so that we look as those who belong to another kingdom. Welcome to the Resurgence Messages Podcast. We gather and minister regularly for the purpose of reaching people, reviving churches, and releasing leaders. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you to arise for the kingdom of God. For more information on the ministry of Resurgence and how you can take part, check out LiveForSurgeons.com. So I've been really wrestling... uh... Wrestling tonight, just to to share my heart with you and to see the things that are on God's heart for you, and uh, yeah, I, I feel I'm gonna I'm gonna follow the Spirit if that's okay. Uh, I pastor Gateway Family Church 14 years. Before that, I ran Eagles Nest Ranch for seven summers. We saw 5,000 kids make commitments to Jesus over the seven summers. Uh, so don't miss the camping opportunity. God moves powerfully at camp, and. Um, uh, and then before that was a worship and youth pastor in Sylvan Lake for six years. Been in ministry for about twenty-six years now, and and just uh, loving it. You know, we're in a season where Leonard Sweet called it. He said he he said this about. He actually said this in nineteen. Uh, I think it was nineteen ninety nine. He said that the world is moving from a bell curve to a well curve where, where, where normally, you know, the majority of people sort of live in the, in the middle. And then if you're kind of on the fringes, everybody's kind of like, you know, ease up a little bit. But you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's that, but he said, but what's going to happen is we're going to move to a well curve where the majority is pushed to the sides and there's a chasm in between and the only way that you can hear one another is to yell boy does that sound like today doesn't it i think i think there's a couple of things that i, I want to share with you tonight i'm going to i'm just going to lay out a few things because i believe that god wants to release just a fresh impartation of his father's heart uh, i have a passion to see the, the love of the father released but but you see to know to know who he is to know who you are to know where you're headed and by the way the the who i am and the where i'm headed there's two wills of God. There's that which is known, that which is unknown. The unknown things, many of you young adults here are probably, you know, you know what will I do with my life? Will I have a, have a life? Will I have a wife? Will I have a husband? You know, those sort of things, those unknown things that you're hoping God will make sure work out. And then there's the known will of God. Everything you need to know about his nature, about his ways connected to his word everything you need to know about what his expectations are for how you live, how you walk out your life. A lot of times what we do is we try to discover that which is unknown without first being qualified in that which is known. And so because because of that, for lack of a better term, biblical illiteracy amongst us, When I say that, I mean it this way, that that a lot of times what we do is we, we read the word for us. As believers, we're people of the book, and for us to be actually really good people of the book, we actually have to become better historians. We actually have to have a better grasp of who things were written to, when they were written, why they were written, and what was being said to the individuals. Right. If I were if I were to read a letter to you and 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 to say uh, and the letter said, Wow, I can't believe it. It's like a brand new beginning. Our lives are just brand you know just amazing. Can you can you feel the hope in the air? You know, if I'd have read that to us, especially during the COVID crisis, people would think, What what's the matter with you? But the context of that letter, let's say, was just shortly after the Second World War ended. Well, now you understand the context of what's being written and why it's being written, why it's being said. And see, because, because we've, 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 we've shied away from biblical literacy, what happens is, is we're not catching who is being spoken to, why they're being spoken to, what's being said to them. And therefore, the, the, the critique over, over Christians is, well, you make the Bible say whatever you want it to. That's true because we're not paying attention to what it actually says. And when we start to pay attention to what it actually says, then it gives us an appropriate plumb line for how we're supposed to live our lives. You see, because a lot of times what happens is, we, I, I promise I'll get to my notes, a lot of times what happens is, is, is the Bible is actually a plumb line. Okay, follow me. Do you, do you understand a construction of plumb line? You, you hang this string with a weight on it and you can determine whether or not a wall is, is plumb, is, is level, is in order. You see, but what happens is a lot of times because we're unwilling to read the word and let it speak to us and and let it do what it's supposed to do for us, which is to reform our thinking, to transform our mind, which is profound. Sorry, if I'm talking too fast or if I'm saying words that are too big, uh, just wave and I'll try to explain it. All all right? Sorry, sometimes I get a little bit and I'll slow down. But you see, because it's profound, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't it fascinating that God would actually focus in on our highest faculty and bring transformation to that? The transformation of our bodies happens later, but but he starts with giving us what we need to have our minds changed. You want to know why? Because the whole idea of a transformed mind is learning what heaven thinks on a subject and making that the truth that I live by. And so because we've, we've, lacked our, our, we've lacked biblical understanding, what we do is we might have a skewed life and we see the word and we shape it to fit our lives. So then it becomes a servant to us instead of us being a servant to it. And what that does is that it creates a breeding ground for idolatry. Idolatry, anything that demands its permission before you obey God is an idol. Whether it's finances, sexuality, identity, vision, my core values, my Enneagram number, anything that, that exalts itself above the knowledge of Christ is referred to in the Bible as a stronghold. I'll get to gushy stuff in a little bit, but are, are you guys, are you, are you tracking with me? So, okay, you're being quiet so I'm just watching in case somebody throws stuff. <laughs> but the, what we have to grasp here is that anything that demands its permission before you obey God, well, I'm, I'm just uncomfortable sharing God's love with that individual. Like, he's God, he's got a bit of an attitude about it, and you said you were submitting to him. See? Take a quick read through Galatians 3 and see if the word gives you permission to walk in offense and anger towards other people like society is teaching us. Cuz here's the thing friends, we cannot expect kingdom outcomes with worldly practices. We we just can't expect it. And 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 in love, I need to say this with you, every young adult generation tends to think that they can Every young adult generation, I mean I've been I've I've gone through one, two, probably about three young adult generations. You get what I'm saying? And and every every young adult generation thinks that they can shift God's principles so that they can stay in their personal practices. The 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 value of the book is that it's ancient. It was here before I showed up, and it's going to be here long after I'm gone. And it never returns void. Which means that that the kingdom principles will ensure kingdom outcomes. So think of it this way. The children of Israel um, and their journey into freedom from from Egypt. Who's tracking with me? Remember, they were slaves in Egypt. Is, Is everybody with me there? Sometimes people don't. Sometimes you allude to a story, and they're like, huh? Right? So... Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt and God miraculously brings them out of Egypt and they come to this point where they're at, a red, where they're at the Red Sea and the sea's in front of them, the armies are behind them and they've got a problem. From, so for the only way for them to get to freedom is to cross a sea that they can't part. And so God parts it for them and they walk across on dry ground. He closes it up, closes, he, he floods their enemy, as it were, he destroys their enemy, and now they're walking in freedom. But they actually had a second miraculous crossing. Forty years later, it was only supposed to be 40 days. But 40 years later, they come to the Jordan River, and the promised land is on the other side. This is Joshua chapter 3. And Joshua is instructed by God how they're supposed to enter into their promise. And he says this. Have the priests put the ark on their shoulders and as their foot touches the water it will pile up at a place called Adam. At another place, Adam in the province of Zerethan, which means this, manned in distress. Fascinating. It piles up there Stand in there on the dry ground and the people will cross over. You see, for us to move from our slavery into freedom, we needed Jesus to part a sea that we could never part. We needed Jesus to come die for our sins and be be resurrected from the dead to overcome sin in the grave so that we could enter into right relationship, holy relationship with God. I think we understand the gospel here, right? So we needed a sea parted for us so that we could move from slavery into freedom, but if you're going to move from freedom into promise, you have to actually let the waters be parted with you. That means unwillingness to participate in kingdom principles will rob you from crossing over into your promises. Make sense? And, and let me tell you, friends, I have lived this game long enough to have seen people who think that because there's a pillar of cloud and fire by night, that they're walking in the full freedom of God, that they're walking in their full promises. But all that's happening is they're wandering in their freedom, and when God brings them to the uncomfortable place of having to apply, say, forgiveness, or having to apply, say, grace, or having to apply generosity, or having to apply sacrifice, and they come to the river and they like Nuh-uh, one, two, three, not me. I'm enjoying the. am de- enjoying my freedom. Granted, it's a desert, but I've got a pillar and a cloud. Get me? And over and over and over again. Here's the thing: is that is that you see, it was a. It was meant to be a forty day journey. They were meant to come to that place and to go into the promised land, but because they didn't change their minds. You see, uh, I've heard it said this way, that a generation of slaves had to die in the desert so a generation of sons could obtain an inheritance. And I agree with that, except this. I don't believe it was ever the heart of God for that generation of slaves to die. I I believe that his heart was for them to be transformed in their mind from slavery to sonship so that they could engage the promise. See, and to live in the desert and to not come across the river is to live outside of your promises. There's more for you. So to fully embrace that, you've got to come to a place where you understand what you're actually a part of. And so the who of uh, who am I and, and the where am I headed really comes down to a couple of other questions. The first is this, that to know who you are, you have to know when you are. We have to understand the times we're living in. Paul didn't Paul wasn't mistaking the signs of the time when he was said Jesus could come back any minute. He wasn't mistaking the signs of the times. He was actually declaring the time had begun, the beginning of the end had begun. And Jesus could return any time. I've seen a bumper sticker, Jesus is coming back, look busy. But Jesus could return any time. So, so think of it this way, let me, let me help you understand, because this is something we've got to grasp as believers if we're going to understand some of the tensions that we live in when we, when we, when we see breakthrough on occasion, but we don't see it all the time, or, or how that all plays out. So I, I own a home, I have a house. There was a season in my life where I was a non-home owner. I, 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 I rented, I saved, I saved up for a down payment. And then, and then eventually, I, I was able to garner a down payment. And so on that day that I garnered a down payment, I received something called a mortgage. All right? Yeah, everybody's laughing. I obtained a mortgage. Now, on that day, I became a homeowner. But did I really own the home? There's going to be another day, probably like in my 80s, when I will have a mortgage burning. And what's mine will be mine. So right now, I'm living in the tension of the in-between. It's the owning now, but not yet. I have full access to my home. I don't live in the 10% down payment of the home, right? I would look, if I brought you over to my house and I had like police tape across, you know, the foyer, it'd be like, well, this is all I own, you know. No, it gave me access to the entire home. It's now, not yet. That's what I live in. Makes sense. In the same way, mankind was underneath uh, a, a, a covenant that was insufficient. The law. With the promise that the Messiah was coming. And then Jesus came and he died and he rose again and he inaugurated the beginning of the end. The kingdom now, not yet. He mortally wounded my flesh. Come on. Come on. And, he, and, and now we wait. now. So, so it has been established and it will be consummated upon his return. But I still get to live in the full measure of what he established, even while I wait for it to be consummated. So, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, talks about that he, the Holy Spirit, has been given to us as a guarantee of our inheritance. That word literally means down payment. So we've been given the down payment of the Holy Spirit to live in the full measure of our inheritance in the kingdom now not yet. See, this is why for Paul, inner struggles didn't make sense to him. If you read the word, now you might say to me, wait a minute, Pastor Lamb, what about Romans chapter 7? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I'll talk to you about that in just a moment. <laughs> but for Paul, there was no such thing as an inner struggle. He believed, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Be filled with the Spirit, because those who are filled with the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. And the necessity of us walking in the infilling of the Spirit, allowing our minds to be daily transformed and renewed, to learn what heaven thinks on a thing so that we can live in this kingdom now, not yet. Have the word shape our behavior so that we look as those who belong to another kingdom. This is what the Father has done for, for us through the Son. Think of it this way. You can't, any number divided by infinity is zero. Okay? Make sense? An infinite number of years divided by any number, it's zero. That's why, the, that's why the Bible says your life is but a breath in light of eternity. It's like this long. you got this long to invest in eternity. Think about it. It's crazy. So, Because our inheritance is infinite in its nature, it can't be divided down into a down payment. So God in his grace gave us Holy Spirit who is infinite in his nature as the down payment so we receive the infinite to access the infinite. Which means this, you lack nothing, see? You lack nothing. You have all of the capacity of Holy Spirit in you to live out these tenets given to us in the word. So that we can walk with one another and forgive. That we can walk with one another and avoid uh, division. We can walk with one another in love, in grace, in peace, in strength. We can live in the full fruit of the Spirit in a contrary culture and show forth the praises of Him without having to wave placards declaring how everybody else is so evil and everybody else is so lost. We can do this better. But you got to understand when you are. Then you got to understand what you're a part of. The covenant. The unbreakable promise because of unconditional love. That you're a part of. The gospel. Covenant. Which Hebrews says is a better covenant because it's based on better promises. So let's break this down real quickly so we have a better understanding of this. I'll give you a couple of the the Lord just lovingly always kind of foreshadows things. So the first foreshadow is in Genesis chapter 3, when Abram is is, is told by God to, to set up the items for a covenant. He's about to make a covenant with him. I'm gonna make a nation out of you. You know, it's it's gonna be incredible. And so he he gets him to, to the, the the tradition was to cut the animals in half, set it out so that you're walking through death with one another. This is unbreakable, this promise that we're making, okay? So Abram gets everything ready, sits back, falls into a deep sleep. He awakens to see a, a torch. And I was going to say smoking pot, but that's different nowadays. You don't say smoking pot. You, you say a smoldering pot. Floating through the items of the covenant. What was happening? Well, see, God was making an eternal covenant. Abram wasn't an eternal guy. God knew that Abram didn't have the capacity to keep the covenant that he was about to make. So he, God, covenanted with himself and made Abram a beneficiary. In the same way, the gospel isn't a covenant between God and men. The gospel is a covenant between the Father and the Son, making humanity the beneficiaries. That's why we receive an inheritance and not a wage. In fact, if you feel like you're earning something from God, you're sinning because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Are you with me? As a result, it's an unbreakable covenant. I I grew up Pentecostal. There's a Baptist church. I grew up Pentecostal. Okay, so I, you know, my Baptist friends—they got saved once. I got saved at every thunderstorm. You know what I mean? (laughs) Jesus is moving the furniture. I better get my life in order. You know what I'm saying? I would submit this to you that this covenant is a lot harder to lose than the enemy would like to tell us. Why? Because it's between the Father and the Son and your beneficiary. It can't be broken. It's an unbreakable promise because of unconditional love. The second thing, let me just put this real quick. The second thing, David and Goliath, who here remembers David and Goliath? David and Giant Pickle who watch VeggieTales. Come on, my kids are VeggieTales age. Who will fight me? Right? I love VeggieTales. Uh, uh, so David, David and Goliath, right? So you guys, I'm, I'm trusting, I'm moving fast. I'm trusting who, who, everybody, give me a quick wave. David and Goliath, give me a quick wave. Okay, everybody's got a sense of what's going on. All right, so Goliath is marching back and forth for six weeks across the other side of the valley and he's, he's calling out Israel. He's calling out their God. He's cursing them. He's mocking them. He's making fun of them. And then he does this: send out a champion. We'll fight. If I win, you're our slaves. If you win, we're your slaves. Just an aside: one of the things that we've made cultural at Gateway, and I'd encourage you to make it cultural in your own life, is the Israel's biggest mistake in that moment was letting the enemy set the terms for the battle and for victory. We have so much authority that we don't fight to fight; we fight to win. And many times our win is moving the goalposts and declaring victory. Don't let the enemy define the terms for your battles. Oh, as soon as you get this in order, then God will love you. As soon as you get this right, then God will be okay with you. As soon as you move the goalposts and declare victory. Because the blood will never lose its power. Come on. Anyways, that's an aside. So David goes out. Now, what Goliath did was he set it up. I'm representing the Philistines. Send out somebody to represent you. Now, can you imagine what that would have been like for like two Jewish guys in a, in a foxhole uh, hiding from Goliath and all of a sudden they see this bony teenager walk out into the battlefield? You know, Ezra, what's going on with the kid out there? Moishi, I don't know, but we're all dead. You know what I mean? Like, like it'd be like, you know, we're all going to be slaves. Our children are going to be slaves, right? It's all going to be lost. Now, David was representing Israel. All of Israel was, in a sense, in David. All of the Philistines were in Goliath. Make sense? So David goes out. Right? Knocks him down as he's lifting up Goliath's recently liberated head. All of the children of Israel rush into this battlefield of victory, hooping and hollering to a battle that they brought nothing but six weeks of cowardice to. Why? Because David's victory was their victory because they were all in David. And in the same way, Jesus' victory is our victory because we were all in Christ when he was on the cross. Is this making sense, friends? So not only is this an unbreakable because of who the covenant is with, but it's, 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 it's so powerful because his victory is your victory. Third, last thing, quickly, another story, Mephibosheth. Anybody ever heard of Mephibosheth in the Bible? Okay, Mephibosheth, so David, King David, and, and, and Saul, the king at the time, David wasn't a king at this, but King Saul and his son Jonathan, the crown prince, took David into their house. David became a bit of a trouble for Saul, but Jonathan and David become bestest of friends. They, they loved each other. And they made a covenant, with all the trouble that was going on in David's life, they made a covenant between one another to guard over each other's houses. So we fast forward a little bit. Jonathan and Saul go into battle. They get killed. There's turmoil in the royal house. Because anybody who ascends to the throne is going to kill off any of the royal lineage. So that his throne would never be challenged. Right? Makes sense? Well, Jonathan had a son, Mephibosheth. The nurse picks him up. He was a toddler at the time. Picks him up in panic and runs out of of the royal households to hide him so he doesn't get killed with whoever ascends to the throne. In her rush, she drops him and he ends up crippled for the rest of his life. And he's living in a place called Lodabar. David ascends to the throne. Is everybody with me? I'm going fast. David ascends to the throne. And when he gets there, after he's there a little while, he says this. "Is Is there anybody from Saul's house that I can show kindness to? he remembered his covenant with Jonathan and he gets told yeah there's this young man mephibosheth he's Saul or Jonathan's son and uh, he's crippled so david orders that he's brought before him now you see, here's the thing. Mephibosheth was afraid. He, he thought David hated him. He thought David would kill him because he had, you know, former royal blood in, going through his veins. He was expecting the very worst. He was expecting, you know, and everything he'd heard, that David had robbed the throne, that David had taken, you know, his inheritance away. So he wasn't crazy about David. On top of it, he gets to the place, and I can tell you that he was afraid because David says to him, don't be afraid. And he says this, for I'll show you the same favor that I showed your father, Jonathan. And he invites him to come and live in his house and eat at his table. Well, in the same way, it says that Jesus was crucified before the, before the foundations of the world. In the same way, this reconciliation for men with God was in God's heart from the very beginning. And this promise existed in his heart before your heart ever existed. And here's the point is that there was a promise. There was a covenant between the father and the son that existed before you did with your benefit in mind. And God, the father delights in you in the Same way he delights in Jesus. So you don't need to be afraid. Don't be afraid, for I will show you the same favor that I showed Jesus. This is what you're a part of. You might be here and you might be thinking, I'm not worthy of that. No, none of us are. We're made worthy by it. See? This is something, this, this, this sea is something you can't cross. We need Jesus. But on the other side, we're given the Spirit, and we can cross any river. And here's the thing, friends, is that many in your generation, and in the generations prior to, have been satisfied with wandering the deserts and coming to rivers that they don't want to cross. And freedom is good enough, promises, and, and they never get to step into the fullness of their promise. Not because God's withholding from them, but because their character has robbed them of being able to manage the favor God wants to release to them. Make sense? So I want to wrap up in 10 minutes. I should have started landing the plane 10 minutes ago, but... So let's get a sense of what the Father is like. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, in many times, in many ways, God revealed himself to the, from the, you know, through the prophets. But now he's chosen to reveal himself through his son, who is the exact imprint of his nature. Philip, in John, I think it was 14, Philip, Philip is, is, is speaking with Jesus, and he says, just show us the Father. That will be enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long, Philip, that you don't know this, if you've seen me? You've seen the Father? My point is this. Any lie that comes your way that would declare something of God that isn't of His nature, here's how you you discern it. If you can't see it in Jesus, it's not in the Father. So God has revealed His nature through Jesus. What you see in Jesus is what you get in the Father. So in Luke chapter 15, there are three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, right? The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes, fine. The, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son. Now, oh, tell them I'm busy. Now, the parable of the lost sheep is it about the sheep or the shepherd? It's about the shepherd. The parable of the lost coin is it about the coin or the woman? It's about the woman. And in the parable of the prodigal son is it about the son or the father? It's about the father. Now, this is where sometimes we just we get we get a little bit lost because we lack historical content, context, sorry. So quickly I'm going to go over this with you. Hopefully it makes sense but Jesus was speaking to Jewish people he was speaking into an existing culture he wasn't speaking into a north american culture he was speaking into a culture of shame and honor culture he was so shame and honor means that who you are is more connected to who you're from than what you've done so if you're the the thought of a self-made man in his culture was a nightmare That's why Paul would introduce himself as a son of, of, from, you know, where he was from and who his family was or who trained him. Where you were from was who you were from. Does that make sense? And your identity was wrapped up in that. And so there were customs and there were things around this story that we just kind of, we sort of look at romantically because we have our Western perspective of things. We think, yeah, I can see a son, you know, wanting his inheritance and going out and making it on his own. And failing. And then finding his way home. And wow, isn't God nice that he would let us back in. Okay, but the sheep had to be found. The coin had to be found. So did the son have to be found which is why the dad runs to him. And I'll explain that in just one second. But I want you to see the heart of the father here because what Jesus was doing is he was about to destroy every cultural perspective on what a father's heart was like. The father's heart was like. In fact, and I have this written down, so I want to to read it because if I don't do it right, he, he was going beyond what was their normal cultural understanding of a father and the traditions around a father. And he was establishing something new that was going to transform their understanding of what the Heavenly Father was like. And to reject what Jesus was teaching about the Father is to reject Him. It's not just about a, a remarkable Father. It's about a remarkable God whose Father. So the Son comes and he says, I want my inheritance. Give me what is mine. Okay, normally, in that culture, that would have been a beating and a disowning. Seriously. who would have brought great shame upon that father to give. And, and he didn't give him money, he gave him property. He gave him goods. So apart from basically saying, I wish you were dead, which, is what, which was what it would have meant to that, to, to that, uh, to that father, the father gives him the goods. Now the Bible says it gives it to them. He gave the oldest son his goods too. That means the son would have had to bring further embarrassment to the father by selling the goods to get the money. Now, in Jewish tradition and understanding there, in um, the, 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 the Mishnah, there's, there's, a, there's a statement. Be careful what you do with your inheritance amongst the Gentiles. Because if you lose it, you will be disowned by your family. There was, a, there was a ceremony called the Keza. It's spelled K-E-Z-A-Z-A-H, but it's pronounced Keza. The Kezah ceremony was a public shaming and disowning of an individual. So, this son goes out to live his life, risking being disowned, and he was okay with it. Further, shame to the father. Now, the son goes out. We know the story. He ends up feeding pigs to Jews. Like, woo, you know, bad news, right? Then it says he comes to his senses. Now, we think that he came to repentance. (gasps) Even the servants in my father's household are paid better than me. Taking better care of than I'm being taken care of. I'll go back to him and say, I'm not worthy to be your son, but take me in as your servant we think wow and doesn't that work for the whole repentance and good works thing for us oh god i'm so sorry i looked at that online i just for the next 2 weeks father come on we bargain guess what this kid was doing he knew the kazah and so he says he came to his senses I can go back and earn a wage with my father and pay him back and thus avoid disownment, being disowned. I can earn my way back into his favor. And what does the father do? The father is watching and waiting. Want to know why? Because he knew it wouldn't work out. And you know what? Many times our Father in Heaven is watching and waiting as we sort of go our way and do our thing and sow our oats and think we're so smart. By the way, can I tell you something? There's a few of you here who have perhaps a little more frost on the shingles than I do. Some of you have lost some of your shingles, not pointing you out. But but can I tell you something about an ageless God? Age and treachery will trump youth and skill every time. <laughs> the older ones in the room got that, the younger ones are like, huh? Trust us, a little later on, when you know a little more, age and treachery trump youth and skill every time. And in the same way, our ageless God, he knows it's not going to work out. And he watches and he waits for us to come back thinking that we can buy our way back. But what does he do? He runs. He runs. Further shame. Women run, men don't run. He would have been a man of means with all of this money that he's talking about, that he was still living well, even dividing up half of his kingdom, as it were. Lifts his skirts, runs. See, we were being shown that God loves like a mother, Happy Mother's Day, and has the authority of a father all in one. He runs to his son. You want to know why he ran to his son? Because there was no way the community was going to get to beat him to his boy and pull off the kazaa and disown him before he had a chance to protect him. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run this race with endurance, casting off the sin that so easily entangles and the weight that holds us back, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, we look at that and we think, yes, of course, it would have been shameful to hang on a cross, and he despised that shame. Well, that's true. But when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that they said is, we heard you in the garden, and we were naked, and therefore afraid. First thing that came on them was shame, and then fear followed shortly after. And that very shame that came on mankind because of sin, Jesus hung on the cross, hating it. And that's why he hung there for you and for me, saying, you will never be ashamed again. Make, make me be naked. Make me bear the shame. I'll take the shame. You will never feel shame again. God doesn't expose. He doesn't, he doesn't p- throw you out for the world to see and uncover you. He loves you. He will run to the very depths of wherever you are to ensure that you will never face the, the rejection and the disownment that the world would like to give you. Never. This is the Father's love. This is the love of God. See, you got to know you got to know when you are. You got to know what you're a part of. You got to know who he is. You got to know who he is. Maybe somebody could come to the piano, just quietly play behind me if that's okay. Sorry, you're the only somebody I know who plays the piano. Sorry, bro. Ten minutes, not bad. One of those rare times where I told the truth when I said I was going to do that. <laughs> Friends, listen. I, I know I spanked you a little bit earlier. I, 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 I dare you. I challenge you. Read the word and let it convict you. Read the word without the excuses of whatever circumstances are surrounding it because you've been given Holy Spirit. You possess all of the necessary capacity to walk out a spirit-led, spirit-filled, fruitful life following the tenets of the word that's laid out before you. You lack nothing. You lack nothing. And the full inheritance that's waiting for you has been released to you through the Holy Spirit. Don't live in just the freedom portion of your house, but take the risk. Apply the kingdom. The kingdom principles have to be applied. Their feet had to step into the water. And for some of you, you have to step into that water for you to see it pile up at the place of your distress. By the way, it flowed to the Dead Sea. So they purposefully put that in there so we would see that distress only leads to death. But the kingdom principles stop the water. But it comes down to this. We have to fully embrace the power of the gospel. We have to get a grip of that it's unbreakable that it was created before you and that you're participating in it through Christ and his victory is your victory. And God delights in you in the same way he delights in Jesus. So that we can embrace who he is. Because we think the gospel is transactional, that if I do well, I can have more of God, because we have that mindset, we get robbed of the full measure of the love of the Father. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed unto us that we would be called, what, His children. I feel to say this, and so I'm just going to quickly say, you notice in the Bible that God doesn't have any grandchildren. Want to know why? Because every person is meant to have a first-hand experience with the Father. You can't depend on somebody. You can't depend on a relative's or somebody else's experience to actually bring fruit and life into your life. Each one of us, God doesn't have grandchildren. He doesn't have a second generation. They're all the first generation. Meaning this, because of the cross, you qualify for a first-hand encounter with the Father. He's you in your seats on that one, but I'll let it pass. All of you qualify for first hand experience with the Father, and He loves you, He loves you. And his Son despised the shame that was on mankind, so you would never have to be ashamed. That's why we boldly come before the throne of grace because it's so much more, He's so much better than we think He is. He's so much greater than we think He is. And further than that, you have so much more potential than you think you do because you're filled with God Himself. And He loves you so I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll stay here to pray for people if they want me to pray for them but actually in truth this is this is you and Jesus this is you and the Father then maybe maybe there's stuff in your life where you're looking at it right now and it's like well and, and I, I have been willing to cross that river but I need to cross it maybe you, maybe you need to forgive somebody tonight guess what Forgiveness isn't saying that what they did was okay. Forgiveness is saying it's not going to have authority over you anymore. And then God will bring life in the midst of it. God brings life in the midst of it. But if you want to be free, you've got to step into the river. You've got to apply the truth you've been given to see the waters back up. But maybe you're here tonight and you've misunderstood, misappropriated, mis- misheard being afraid or ashamed because you're not coming to make a deal you're coming to be returned quick, shut up boy shut up, get a rope. put it on my son I don't want him wearing these rags anymore get a ring, put it on his finger hurry, hurry, put sandals on his feet. He's not going to feel the pain of the road any longer. He's not going to live without the authority necessary to walk this life out. And let's celebrate. My boy's home, my boy's home. I found him. I saw him up there and I found him. corner, there's no black spot, there's no memory, there's no experience, there's no nothing that can rob you of the love of God invading, making it whole and bringing life and life abundantly. Tonight I'm praying that just your mind got changed. That you learned what heaven thinks on a subject and chosen to make that your truth. And if that's you tonight, you're just saying, Jesus, I just I just want to start to Have that that I thought I knew that I thought I was experiencing but I've just discovered there's more and by the way I love this about the table of God there's always more so no matter where you are where you're at in your journey with God why not take the step and say I want more so I'm going to quickly pray and I'm going to I want you to have just the moment where you just come before me to say, I, "Like I love you. I, I, don't understand it all, but such thoughts are too wonderful for me. It's okay not to understand. It's okay sometimes to just accept." So I'd like everybody to stand for just a moment, and I'm going to open up the altar. We're going to keep it if we can. We we'll keep it just very soft, okay? i want it to be a, just a time of reflection and leaning into leaning into the goodness of God but after I pray listen i'm not going to cajole it you're not going to make me feel better about myself if the altar is full or if it's if it's empty i'm his son i did what he said <laughs> so my wholeness is intact but don't let yours hang in the balance is something that, that's robbed us far too much of the fullness of God. And so I'll leave it at that because we know what the Bible says about those things. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible bunch. Thank you, Jesus, for your intense love for them, for the beauty of who they are in you and who you are to them. I'm asking God, Holy Spirit, even right now, would you, become, would you come in and stir up the hunger in their souls for more of you? encounter with you, God, that would be transformational, that would bring life where there's been brokenness, that would bring joy where there is depression. Somebody in this room is feeling like, yeah, but you don't know what I've done, or you don't know what I've been through. You're right, I don't, but he does, and he's still madly in love with you. And there's not one thing that's going on in your life that he can't bring wholeness to, because God wins with any hand. So Father, I'm asking that as this hunger stirred up for two things, Lord Jesus. Number one, the boldness to declare I'm in need. Number two, the strength to receive all that you have. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great love. I pray, Father, that you would pour your grace out on my friends. as they, And I pray that as many of them touch the altar, that Lord, that something supernatural would take place as they engage the consecrated space in Jesus' mighty name, amen. The altars are open, come quickly, come quickly. Come quickly, don't be afraid or ashamed. Come quickly, come quickly. Just kneel down and spend time in front of him and just let him love on you. Yeah, come on. Well, there's a few more that I've seen. The Holy Spirit touch you I've not Come quickly, come quickly. Just let Jesus minister to your soul. Jesus' name. That this is a this is a red letter moment. This is a watermark moment. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. We hope that you were blessed. For more information about Resurgence, including how you can take part of this great movement, visit www.liveresurgence.com.